Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. The title of my message this morning is Jesus is Coming. He is coming. And we can give him an amen for that. You know, why, why talk about Jesus is coming? Do we have an echo with me here? Is my voice okay? Or, or are you hearing me double? <laughs> Getting a twice as good. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, he's coming. Why talk about the fact that Jesus is coming? Well, we sang in, about the cross this morning, and arguably there is nothing greater than what Christ did on the cross, right? I mean, he paid the price for our sin. He took the wrath upon himself. But why did he do it? Well, because he loved us. Why? Why? In the beginning of the Bible, and all the way at the end of the Bible, the answer is given. And now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will be their God, and we will be his people. That's why. So, what Linda mentioned about love. For some reason, in the heart of God, there's this desire to pour out His love on somebody, namely us. And He wants us to receive it and then give it back. That's what He wants. He wants to hang out with us for eternity. So that's why we're talking about the second coming of Jesus. Because when that happens, we're going to be there. Alright. Um... You know, there's a lot of controversy over the second coming of Christ, right? Uh, Some places you're not even allowed to preach the second coming of Christ. But as believers, we know what the Scripture says. So I'm going to go into that today. It's going to be a two-part series. Today I'm going to talk about the rapture. I'm going to tell you what the rapture is. And I'm going to talk about the second coming. Next week, I'm going to talk about the day of the Lord and uh, Daniel's 70th week and how all that works together. This is an extremely difficult message for me, honestly, and I'll do the best I can with it. All right. So Jesus is coming. Is He really coming back? I looked online just for fun. There's all kinds of blogs and posts, of course, by non-believers. You know, it's a myth and it's crazy and all this kind of stuff. But I think we know better. Let's turn to First Corinthians. 1 Thessalonians 4. This is, this is Paul teaching. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Asleep means people who have died in Christ. And about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, does anyone believe that Jesus died and rose again? Well, if you believe that, Paul's saying, then, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the Word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, And with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
Is Jesus coming back? You better believe he's coming back. You better believe it. There's so many references to the second coming of Christ. All the Old Testament prophets reference it. Uh, New Testament. I'm only going to read a few scriptures. All right, let's take a look at another one. Let's look at Revelation 22. Revelation 22, 7. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. So Jesus wants us to study his coming so we can heed the words of the prophecy. In verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to each man according to what he has done. Verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. He's coming. Not only is he coming, he's coming quickly. Where is he? Well, he's coming quickly. That's all I can tell you. All right, would you agree that he is coming? You know, um, I, was, I was tutoring a student last week, a 15-year-old girl, and um, she had a dog, and her dog was taken away by her dad and sold for drug money. I mean, that's terrible, <laughs> you know. Um, and then some period of time went by, and she was all excited. She said, she said, I'm going to, it's three hours and 15 minutes more and I get to get my dog back. I said, what do you mean your dog? And she said, well, she told me the story. And she said, and we found the people that, that took the, bought the dog and they're going to sell the dog back to us. And she was so excited about the coming of her dog. And she should be. Well, we have the coming of the Holy One, Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We can get a little bit excited about his coming, right? We really can. Okay. In fact, um, I'll tell you a story. Uh, years ago, I was working with a guy at B&W, and we were doing a project, an engineering project. Actually, it was on the superconducting super collider. They were going to build it in Texas. And we were in this library doing research together, and it was just me and Bill. And Bill was like twice my age. I was a y- young zealot back then. And um, I witnessed to this guy in, the li- in this library a number of times. Well, I looked out the window, out the glass of the library windows, and I saw just the beautiful blue sky, and I saw the white puffy clouds, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just filled me, and I said, Bill, he's coming! He's coming on the, Bill, he's coming on the clouds! <laughs> Poor Bill. <laughs> That's no exaggeration. Um, of course, Christ didn't come back then. But I told him, Jesus is coming back. He's coming. Be ready. He's coming. Do you want him to come back? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you really want him to come back? Does anyone have unsaved loved ones, family members, close friends? If Jesus came back this second and they weren't saved, what would happen to them? Well, they would have to pay the price for their sins, right? They would be judged and end up in a lake of fire forever. So do I want Jesus to come back right now if I have family members, loved ones in my family that aren't saved? 
That's tough, isn't it? Because Revelation said, Come, Lord Jesus, come! Well, what's interesting is Peter addresses that a little bit. Of course, it's from the point of view of people that scoff. Jesus is never coming back. 2,000 years later, right? Where is he? Well, what did Peter say? Well, his coming is not slow as some count slowness, right? But he's patient, not wanting that any perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. So why, why is there a delay? Because God is patient. He wants the full number of people to get saved. And according to my prayers, that's my family, my extended family, right? So understand, I don't want Jesus coming back right now. I really don't. Now if He does, that's His business and I'll rejoice in it. But I, you understand what I'm saying. I want my loved ones to be saved before He gets back here. Okay. Alright. Something to think about, right? Something to think about. Okay, so today... I'm going to compare, I told you, the rapture and the second coming of Christ. So what is the rapture? Well, I just read it to you in 1 Thessalonians. Let's take a look at it again here. Um, I'm going to read verse 17, 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, what is the rapture? The words caught up are translated into a Latin translation and that word is rapturo. And that's where we get our word rapture. So the word rapture is not in the Bible. So when you see everyone talking about rapture, what are they talking about? They're really talking about being caught up. So when I say the rapture of the Lord, I could say the being caught up to the Lord, right? So... That's where we get the word rapture. So you know what I'm saying. We're going to be caught up. The, word, the Greek word for caught up means to actually be snatched or seized. It's like grabbed. And I don't know about you, but that's going to be an exciting day because I'm going to be walking down the street or I'm going to be planted six feet under and I'm going to be seized up into the air to be with Jesus. I know that for a fact because it says it right here. That's the rapture. How about the second coming? Um, the second coming uh, really is going to happen during the day of the Lord. Now, what is the day of the Lord? That's the question. And I might devote considerable time next week, but I'm going to read like one scripture, maybe two scriptures on the day of the Lord, just so you get a feel for it. In Joel 2, let's go to Joel 2 here. All right, Joel says this, Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. It's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And you don't have it, but right above that in my Bible, in 1.15 it says, For the day of the Lord is near and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Okay, so the day of the Lord is a day of judgment and wrath poured out on God's enemies. And it's a day of blessing for those who are righteousness. That's what the day of the Lord is. And the entire scripture is pretty consistent on 
the day of the Lord is going to be coming at the very end of the age. We, there's pretty much no debate on when that's going to happen. Okay. So I'm going to contrast this second coming and the day of the Lord with the rapture event to see what we can learn. Okay. Alright, so here we go. 1 Thessalonians 4, I mentioned the dead in Christ shall rise first. Right? Then we who are alive will be caught up in the air to meet Him. But in the day of the Lord, let's see what happens in Matthew 24.31. This is His second coming. This is Matthew 24. In verse 30, I'll start with verse 30. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So Jesus is coming back on the clouds and He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Okay, so Paul's account, Jesus comes with a trumpet sound, right? And we rise up off the earth. In Matthew's account, the Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven. There's a trumpet and He gathers the elect from the four corners. Does that sound kind of similar? Sounds kind of similar, doesn't it? Okay. We're just comparing two situations. Alright, let's keep going. In Matthew's account, uh, verse 38 through 41, what else happens when Jesus comes back and the angels gather the elect? Okay, well let's look at verse 38. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until that flood came and took them all away. Okay, what came? A flood. It took who away? Everybody that was wicked in Noah's day, right? Basically took them away to life or to judgment? Death or life? Death, right? Okay, so pay attention here. It came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men left in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Now, it's possible that if you were taken away in the flood to judgment, then the person in the field that's taken away is also taken away to judgment. Could that be true? One's taken, one's left. Is one taken to be with God or is one taken to judgment? Well, right here, it, it, it could be judgment. Now, if you read Luke's account, which I didn't put up there, but you can, you can look this up yourself. Luke's account gives the exact same wording. It says one will be in the, two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. And then it says, when the disciples ask the question, where, Lord? In other words, where will he be taken? And the answer is, where the body is, where the carcass is, there the vultures gather. Does that sound like you're being taken away to judgment or taken away to life? Sounds like judgment to me. 
So it's possible that those that are taken away here in this account are taken to judgment, not to righteousness. Does that make sense? Now you have to you have to read these scriptures for yourself. Go back and study them. All right. So it looks like is there a difference between Paul's account of the rapture and this second coming account? Okay. So in Paul's account, you know he comes back. There's trumpets in both. We saw that. The dead in Christ rise, and then the angels gather the elect. That may be similar. But then we see this thing is thrown in. Two men are in a field. One is taken. One is left. So that's a little bit confusing there. So we'll have to try to figure that out. Okay, what else can we learn from both, both of these? Well, in the rapture account, there's no mention of wrath or judgment. Okay, what I just read to you in First Thessalonians... Jesus comes in the air, the believers rise up, and that's it. There's no judgment, there's no fighting enemies, there's no nothing. It's just we go to be with the Lord. That's kind of interesting. What happens with Matthew's account? Well, the sky turns dark, all these signs appear in the heaven, right? Jesus comes back, people are destroyed at the brightness of His coming. And at the very end, in Matthew 25, he gets the sheep and the goats, right? And where do the goats go? They go to the eternal fire, and the sheep go into the kingdom. Okay, so, so when Jesus comes back and the saints rise up, it like, Paul just hits stop. <laughs> you know, it's like a DVD, right? <laughs> Jesus is coming back, everyone's watching it. The, the dead in Christ rise up. We, we're up in, the Lord, up in the air with the Lord, and then Paul hits stop. Paul, <laughs> I mean, come on. But in this account, in Matthew, and in Luke, and in Mark, and in Revelation, and in Daniel, and in others, I mean, it's really detailed what happens, how there's the abomination of desolation, how there's judgment, the sun's going to be turned dark, and the moon to blood. None of that is mentioned in Paul's account. It's just interesting. That's all. It's just interesting. All right, let's take a look at another comparison. In the rapture, there's no warning when it's going to come. Right? The people are just hanging out. Next thing you know, they rise up into the air. But in Matthew's account and in this, all the other accounts, there are signs coming. In fact, Matthew 24, if you read it, I mean, it's got like two pages worth of signs that have to happen before Christ comes to earth. I mean, just some of them. Um, false prophets will arise. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. The gospel will be preached in all the world. The abomination that causes desolation is going to come and desecrate the temple. Uh, there's going to be a great tribulation such as never occurred in the history of the world and never will be Again, see, and then you got the signs in the heavens, right? The stars falling out of the sky, the sun and the moon. All that has to happen, and then Jesus comes back. So in Paul's account in Thessalonians, nothing happens. We just go up. But in this account, all these things have to happen. Okay, I'm just, I'm just making a comparison. Okay, that's all I'm trying to do. All right, final comparison. 
And by the way, I looked on websites. There's one site that has 64 comparisons between the rapture and the second coming. You can study it more yourself. I'm just picking ones that are kind of what I see as major, major ones. This one's kind of interesting. In Paul's account in the Thessalonians at the rapture, there's no mention of the armies of heaven being with Jesus. We just go up and we, we meet the Lord in the air. Stop. Okay, but the other accounts, there's armies in heaven following Jesus to earth. Okay, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 3.13 and see where that is. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 So that He may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Okay, what's going to happen at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all His saints? Okay, so it's telling us, Paul's saying, when Jesus comes back, all His saints are going to be with Him. That's what He says, right? But the word for saints can also mean holy ones. So maybe it's not really saints, maybe it's just angels. How do we know? Let's go to Revelation. Revelation 19. By the way, I'm not trying to, trying to step on your toes if you believe certain things about the rapture. That's not my intent today. My intent today is to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming and how we can be encouraged and find hope in that. That's my goal. All right, All right Revelation 19. Let's see where we are here. I'm going to go to 19, uh, 14. Well, let's see. 13. I'm going to start off at 19.13. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. I mean, this is Christ. This is the Father saying to Jesus, it is finished. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne on high. He stands up. He gets on His horse. And what does He say? That's what's happening right here. Right? His eyes are burning like fire. His robe is dipped in blood. This is what's going on. Verse 14, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following Him on white horses. Okay, who was following Jesus? Well, somebody dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So are the angels dressed in fine linen, white and clean? Or are saints dressed in fine linen, white and clean? Let's go back a page in my Bible. Let's look in verse 8, 19.8. Okay, this is talking about the bride. Okay, the bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For fine linen is the righteous acts of the angels, of the saints. It looks like it looks like those that are following Jesus are the saints. Okay, that's what it looks like to me. So back now to if the saints are coming with Jesus back to earth, how can the saints be on earth and rise up to meet Jesus in the air? It's just a question. <laughs> Much brighter men have thought about these things than me, that's for sure. Just a question. 
So Jesus is coming back. <laughs> How, when, where, why, what are the details to it? Honestly, it's not that clear. It's just not that clear. And my theory is, it will be clear to the generation that has to go through this stuff. Whoever those people are, I believe the Holy Spirit will quicken Scripture to them, maybe in ways that we don't know. And I think they'll have better understanding than we will. But right now, I just don't know, honestly. I really don't. But I know he's coming. I listened to Glenn Beck, a Mormon talk show host, conservative guy, last week. And Glenn said, you know, I just don't understand about this rapture thing. I cannot see it. I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. No way. Sorry, Glenn. I mean, I hope you do see it. But <laughs> if you don't see it, you're in trouble. <laughs> because I'm going up. I don't know about you. I'm going up. All right. There is a, let's talk about timeline. Let's see if I can find it now. Do we know the timing of when Jesus Christ is coming back? Well, of course, Jesus said, no man knows the hour and the day, no angels, not even the Son of Man, but the Father who is in heaven, right? So if anyone says they know when Jesus is coming back, they're liars or they're deceived. They really are. Um, My theory is this. How could Jesus say he didn't know something? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? But my theory is now that he's in heaven, glorified with the Father, that he, he does know, but that's just a theory. I don't know. All right, but is there a timeline we can talk about? There is a timeline. We don't know the day or the hour, but there is a timeline that's worth exploring. It's in Daniel. So now we're going to go back to Daniel chapter 9. This is really interesting. Okay, the context of this is Daniel is praying for his people, the Jews. And God is impressed with Daniel's prayers and sends Gabriel to answer him. I don't mean impressed in the wrong way. And here's what Gabriel says, uh, 9.24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. How many weeks? Seventy. So what's a week? Well, the Greek there is just a period of seven. It's a unit of seven. So 77s have been decreed for your people, Daniel. Now, is is it a literal week of seven days, or is it seven years? Well, I think as we go through this, you'll see it's years. So Gabriel is saying, hey Daniel, you've been praying for your people. God has heard you. He's going to give you some wisdom and insight as what he's going to do. This is pretty amazing. He said, hey, 77s are for your people. But what's 70 times 7? 490, right? So Daniel, your people have 490 years, and then I'm going to end it. I'm going to make atonement for iniquity. I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness. I'm going to seal up vision and prophecy, and I'm going to anoint the most holy place. That's what's going to happen. And then he's like, oh. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince, 
there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. What's seven plus 62? If you know, this is a math lesson. Get your cell phones out, get your calculators out. It's okay, we're doing some math here. All right, so seven plus 62 is 69 weeks of years, or 69 sevens. It will be built again with plaza and moats, even in times of distress. Okay. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. What do you think it means the Messiah will be cut off? Probably his crucifixion? Would that make sense? I mean, when else was Jesus cut off? Okay. And have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. Okay, so a couple things going on here. There's a decree to rebuild Jerusalem, right? So from that decree until Messiah is cut off, there's going to be 7 plus 62 years. So it's going to be 69 sevens worth of years. What's 69 times 7? Is that up there? Carl, have we found? Did you put in all those calculations? You didn't put the calculations in? Oh, my goodness. That's all right. Well, you have to get your calculators out. Now we're going to do some calculations. Okay, so if there's 69 sevens, we need, how many years is that? Well, 69 times seven is 483. But it's Hebrew years. A Hebrew year was 360 days. I'm not going to explain everything to you. It's too much. Just trust me. A Hebrew year is 360 days. So 483 Hebrew years from the issuing of a decree until the crucifixion of Messiah. Okay, when does this decree come? Let's look at uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah 2.1. Let's find out when the decree came. Okay, 2.1. It says, And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Okay, so the 20th year of Artaxerxes, according to historians, was 445 B.C. I guess we just have to trust that. Okay, Nehemiah is working for the king, right? He's the cupbearer. And Nehemiah heard that Jerusalem had been sacked and destroyed by the Babylonians. That's why Daniel was in captivity. Jews were in captivity. So Jerusalem is wasted. So Nehemiah is going to ask the king, hey, can I go back and rebuild it? And so he does in verse 5. He said, I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Is he going to rebuild the temple? Does it say, what does it say? Does it say the temple or the city? Okay, Ezra rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah is rebuilding the city. The prophecy in Daniel says the city. Okay, so there's a decree in 445 B.C. given by Artaxerxes. And by the way, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Artaxerxes gave uh, Nehemiah permission to go and rebuild the city. And he took with him letters and papers so he would have safe passage to get back to Jerusalem. All right, so we now, now we do some serious math for you here. <clears throat> Hang with me. I am a math teacher. I thought this was fascinating. Okay, so we said 
69 sevens, right? That's the period between 445 B.C. and the crucifixion. Let's see if it really works. Okay, so if I take, I, gotta, I, I have to convert Hebrew years to calendar years, right? Because the Hebrew year is 360 days. Our years are 365 and some change. All right, so if you multiply 483 times 360, go ahead, you can get your calculators out. It's okay, she's doing it. She's gonna, she was my former math student, by the way, in my math class. 173,880 days. Okay? But now we're going to divide that by 365 point zero, let's see, 365, hang with me, point two four two two. Because that's how many days there are in a year, calendar days. So if you divide 173,880 days, if you divide that by four or 365.2422, um, you should get 476 point something. Okay. 0.0676 if you actually did it on your calculator. And that 0.0676 is 25 days. So how long is it in calendar days? It's 476 years and 25 days from the issuing of the decree to the crucifixion of Messiah. Or so I'm saying. Alright, so all I need to do is add that to 445, right? And see where it brings me to. But you have to realize you know, we have 1 BC and we have 1 AD but there is no zero year. Okay, no zero year. So instead of 445, I really need to make it 444. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to confuse you, but just trust me. I'm just going to take the 476 years, I'm going to subtract the 444, and I get 32 AD and 25 days. Okay. So would you agree AD 32 is pretty close to... Jesus. Yeah. Now, some people, they really go crazy with this stuff. I mean, Jesus was crucified at the Passover. The Passover happened at a new moon. So you can figure out when the new moons are in certain years back through history. And you can, you can do all kinds of crazy calculations. Well, some people claim to have figured out that Christ, um, this exact date that was predicted by Daniel, was Christ's uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday, when all the Jews were laying palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. And when the Pharisees say, uh, Teacher, that's blasphemy. Tell him to stop. And what did Jesus say? He said, Look, if I tell them, if they stop, the rocks will proclaim me. Well, maybe the rocks would have proclaimed it because of the prophecy in Daniel had to happen. Maybe this, maybe this 69 weeks worth of years brought it to that exact day to where if the people didn't fulfill prophecy, the rocks would have fulfilled the prophecy. I don't know. Something to think about, right? Pretty interesting. But anyway, you can make of that whatever you want. I tend to, I tend to believe it. I tend to believe that the Word of God can be trusted. And if God says there's 69 weeks till the Messiah is cut off, to me, that's, that's what it means. Whether I can prove it on paper or not. And I think I got us pretty close. Got us pretty close. Okay. So, 
What about the 70th week? We've covered the 69 weeks, right? What about the 70th week? Let's go back to Daniel here. Daniel 27. Remember, we're on a timetable. Verse 27 in Daniel 9 talks about the 70th week. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. What week do you think he's talking about there? Probably the 70th week, right? Because he's already talked about the 69 weeks. So this is probably the 70th week that he's talking about, which would be a seven-year period. But in the middle of the week, that'd be three and three and a half years later, right? Okay, half a seven. He will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. So somebody's coming. It doesn't sound good, does it? When you mention abomination, is that a positive term? No. Okay. So after three and a half years, someone's coming who is an abomination. He's doing something that ain't right, as they say. And he's going to make desolation, even until a complete destruction. All right, so one is coming who is going to bring destruction. And one that is decreed, it's poured out on the one who makes desolate. All right, so the question is, when is this 70th week? Wouldn't it make sense to come after the 69th? <laughs> that would make sense. Okay, so let's do it. So let's say the 69th week ended at A.D. 32. So when would the 70th week be? You add 7 to 32. What do you get? 39. So we missed it. It already came, right? The 70th week ended in A.D. 39. But the thing is, you know, in verse 24 it says you've got 70 weeks to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Was everlasting righteousness brought in in AD 39? Was prophecy sealed up in AD 39? That's my question. Some say yeah. Some say, well, that's just talking about Jesus and it was fulfilled with Jesus. But I don't see it being fulfilled. In fact, was there one that, co- that caused abominations and brought destruction in between AD 32 and AD 39? Some people say, no, it was, it was Emperor Titus in AD 70. He destroyed Jerusalem. That's what it's talking about. Maybe it is. I don't know. But maybe it's not. If you read Jesus, Jesus mentions... Daniel, in Matthew 24. Let's go back to Matthew 24 here. I can find Matthew. Here we go. What does Jesus say about Daniel? Okay, I'm in 24.15. It's probably not on the screen. This is the end of the age. Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee. Right? If you're on a housetop, don't go down. I mean, this is... Then he talks about there's going to be a great tribulation. 
such has not occurred since the beginning, nor will ever occur again. Okay, and then the signs as lightning comes from the east to the west. So will be the coming of the Son of the Man. And then there'll be these signs. The sun's going to darken. The moon's going to turn to blood. Did all that happen between AD 32 and let's just say AD 70 or whatever? I don't think so. I think that's the end of the age, the day of the Lord. So there seems to be this gap between the coming of the Messiah and the end of the age. And is there any evidence to support that? Yeah, actually there is some good evidence. Paul says in Romans, I don't think that's up here. Paul said that, uh, I will tell you a mystery, that Israel will experience a hardening in part. Do you remember that? But, he said, it will end when the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. So Paul seemed to delineate, and also remember when he talked about branches are broken in, broken off so that we could be grafted back into the vine? Well, who is the we? We are the church. Who rejected their Messiah? Jesus. Jesus said, I've longed, I've come to you, I've longed to collect you under my wings. But you would not. They rejected their Messiah. So Paul's saying, hey, Branches were broken off so that we could be grafted in. It's the church age right now. We have the high privilege of being grafted into the program of God for salvation. And Paul told them that, told the Gentiles that that's us, so we wouldn't get cocky and be down on the Jews. But there's a seven-year period of time coming because Gabriel told Daniel it's coming. At the end of the age, there's going to be a last seven-year period and God once again will resume His dealing with the Jews. I have a high confidence. I have a high confidence that that's going to happen. To me, that's encouraging. God just doesn't dump people. Oh, the Jews—they rejected me. Sorry, let them all burn in hell. He doesn't say that, does he? What did Paul say? All Israel will be saved in a day. That's awesome. That day is coming. That didn't. That that wasn't. That that wasn't eighty seventy. That day is coming. So what can we learn from all this? Jesus is coming. <laughs> That's right. He really is. You know, and, and Jesus said to watch and be alert, right? And occupy till I come. That's right. And we have a job to do. Like I said, remember Paul told the Philippians, he said, um, you know, he's chained probably in Rome. And Paul said, look guys, it's better if I go to be with the Lord, but it's more expedient if I stay here with you. Why? Because we have a job to do. We can pull as many people out of the fire into the kingdom of God as God will allow us on our watch right now. This is our watch right now. This is it. We have a little blip on the scale of human history to pray for people, love people, serve people, tell them the gospel, you guys, tell people that Jesus is coming back. Point up into the sky. Don't be ashamed of it. Tell them. Just, the clouds reminded me Jesus is coming. Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? No, I don't. I mean, is He coming? Yeah, He's coming. And if you receive Him as your Lord and Savior and confess your sins, He'll forgive you. He died. He loves you. He paid a price so you could walk in eternal life with Him. 
And he's coming back to take you with us. Isn't that awesome? Wow, I never thought about that. I mean, you could pray right now to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Okay. (laughs) I mean, shouldn't we be doing that? I mean, isn't that not the application for the message? Jesus is coming. Also, isn't there a comfort aspect to it? I mean, the early church, they were shedding blood and being killed for their faith. And so, wouldn't the thought of Jesus coming back for them and taking them to heaven, wouldn't that provide great comfort for them that it's almost over? There's only a few short years of persevering and suffering, and then I'm going to go be with my Lord forever. And what did Paul say? Comfort one another with these words. So, I hate sickness. I've had to battle sickness this last year. My son just had a fever for seven days. He's been battling. I mean, it's terrible. I hate it. I hate cancer. I hate Alzheimer's. I hate all that stuff. Don't you hate that stuff? That's terrible. But there's a day coming where I'm going to be driving down the road, walking down the street, or six feet under, and I'm going up. Because a trumpet sounded, an, an angel shouted, and I'm there with the Lord in heaven. And I guarantee you, as surely as you see me up here telling you this, that day is coming. If you don't know, if you don't have a confidence that you're going to rise up off the planet to meet Jesus in the air, well, now's the time to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior so you too can rise up. I'll be with you. I want, I want, I want to see everyone in this congregation as we all go up together. Wouldn't that be cool? Hey, what's up, Pastor? That's, I mean, it's happening, isn't it? Next week, I'll attempt the day of the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.